This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This begins part two of Unfound's coverage of the disappearance of Kim Moreau. If you've not yet listened to part one, please find it on your podcast app. Kimberly Ann Moreau was a 17-year-old from Jay, Maine. She was very popular and close to her sisters. On the night of May 10th, 1986, a Saturday, Kimberly was allegedly dropped off down the street from her house by a guy who had been with her all day. Kimberly never arrived at her home. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Dunsell, and this is Unfound. So he's changing his stories uh, multiple times, and uh, we'll come back to him a little later. But we're now going to move on to Rhonda. Of course, we've mentioned her. She was seemingly was with Kim that day. Might have been out at the car when Kim went back out to the car after going to the bathroom and everything. What did she do uh, with her life for the rest of the 1980s? I'm going to guess that the three of you and maybe others, did you continue to hound her about Kimberly? Uh, did anybody else continue to hound her? Did the police talk to her? What went on with Rhonda for the like the rest of the 1980s and okay. the 90s? She graduated. She graduated high school. As soon as she got out of high school, she flew the state. She moved to Florida. Hmm. She lived there for a while. She came back, visited somebody here in the state of Maine, which was and dated. She was still dating Darren at the time. Wow. She. And another guy at the same time. Then she decided that she was not going to stay here anymore. And then she proceeded to move to California. She gave up her kids to her sister because she said she couldn't raise it and she didn't want to have the child around. And her sister couldn't have kids. So she gave the child to her sister and moved to California. And then had two more children after that. Okay, all by herself. Moved to California all by herself. Yes. Okay. And she had two different child, children with two different fathers after that. Okay. To your knowledge, I know that you've already talked about what you did at New Year's Eve, uh, I guess, 86 into 87, that you saw her somewhere and people had to keep you away from her, which I totally understand. Nobody uh, begrudges you for that, of course. But do you know, being that we know what Brian's story is, of course, it's multiple stories, does Rhonda have a story about that night into the next morning and has her stories changed over the years? Yes, her, she had said that when she got back out to the car, she decided that she was tired and she wanted to be brought home. Okay. And we don't know if she was ever dropped off at her house. Okay. Because um, she told somebody, she told the police this, that she was going to, that she was dropped off at her house because she said that she was tired and it had been a long day. There's no way Kim would have stayed in the car with somebody she didn't know. Okay. And that's something that's important to understand is that Kimberly 
and Brian really didn't know each other. Not until that day when she got in it with Rhonda. Okay, and she, the only reason she, she was there is because Rhonda was dating Darren. That's the only reason Kim was there. Exactly. That is okay. exactly the only reason very she was good. in that car. All right, very good. All right, so Rhonda's like kind of bailing out of the whole thing, saying, yeah, Kimberly came back out to the car, but then I got dropped off right after that. I have no idea what happened after that. That's what she's trying. That's what she tries to okay. say. All right, and that's, that's what she's, I guess, stuck to. Now, in, in a prior conversation I had with Richard, I'm, this is going to come up now. Richard had told me, if Richard, you want to talk about this, please do, that there was an idea maybe that at some point Rhonda might want to talk a little more, but what happened? Uh, maybe Richard or uh, one of Kimberly's sisters want to talk about this. She's in California. Maybe she wants to come back and divulge a little bit more, but what went on? Well, her sister had died, her, her sister had died of cancer here, and wouldn't, she wouldn't even come back home. Wow. But she was in California. She had gone. She had been in prison for a period of eighteen months on account of uh, she had forged some checks and so forth. <coughs> she was on parole. She lost. She was in the process of trying to get her children, uh, two children back. Mm -hmm. She violated parole, lost the children again, and so forth. And then I guess she just got fed up and wanted to. She just wanted to come back home. Okay. And she called, I'm not sure who it was up here, and said that she was coming back home and she was going to end this whole damn thing. Wow. And uh, she was going to get this over and done with once and for all. Within a two-week period, she was, uh, she was killed by supposedly a hit-and-run uh, hit driver. So she's like walking along the street or something and a car hits her and keeps going. Yep. Yep. All right. And to the three of yours knowledge, and I know that you've had some help uh, with the investigation of all of this, uh, was that hit and run person ever caught in California? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. was. Okay. Uh, what was uh, just a bad, horrible accident or, or what? Any ideas? She, the road, that's all I know. We think that she was drunk and she was walking across the road and just got in a person's way. Okay. And I did find the obituary for her. That happened in 2009. 2000, yes. 2009, right. I did. Yeah, I think I found the obituary for her. So and, she... And she is actually buried in the same cemetery where we want Kim... Oh, my. Okay. All right, so maybe she had a change of heart. Maybe she knew more than she said all those years. Of course, we're now talking 20, 2009, 23 years since 1986. And maybe she has a change of heart. Maybe she's growing a conscience or, or something. She says she's going to come back to Maine and maybe say, you know, tell the true story of what happened that night. Unfortunately, she gets killed first, and maybe it's it's just an accident. Maybe she's drunk walking along the street and falls out in front of somebody, you know, and gets hit. And, of course, that's happening all the time. Very sad. Okay, so if she knew anything, she can't help us now. Let's move on to this. We can't, we can't forget about this boyfriend who, uh, you know, was sleeping with a, a 
casual acquaintance of Kim. What did he have to say about this? Did any of three of you ever talk to him? Of course, I'm guessing he's like 17, 18, 19 years old, somewhere in that range. Did he have, what did he have to say about Kim's disappearance? Was he helpful or anything? No, he was a, he was a complete jerk. Was he? Me and Bob actually went and tracked him down because now I haven't got my sister. I haven't got answers. And I want anything and everything for information. And I want Kim's class ring back. Now. He was in a swimming pool, swimming. And we drove up and asked him that. And he looked right at me with a smirk and said he lost her friggin' ring. Yeah, we're going to get to... This point, uh, at, at this point, I want you to know I'm furious. I want to get out and I want to drown him because... Mm-hmm, I bet. just wasn't right. Nobody... And I can't. We, uh, we, we, nobody, of course, everybody I'm sure feels, uh, the same way you do, uh, about this. Same way, so, you know, he's not helping, he's not being helpful. This is his girlfriend, of course, he was the one cheated on her with this other girl and everything, but you'd think he'd have some sort of, even if he doesn't know what happened, he would be a little more helpful and sympathetic and everything, and he was none of that. No, I was at the time, I was bartending yeah. at a different bar that we had in our hometown. Now, I knew one of the guys that used to hang around with him, and I, saw, I said to him, do me a favor. I said, just get him through the door. I'll be behind the bar working. It's not like I can do anything to him. It's not like I'm going to know who he is when he walks in. You're not, you're, only you're going to bring him in. This guy could not, would not come to the town. He would not come talk to me. He would not give us the time of day. And it's like, why? You don't know me. I don't know you. All I want is answers from you. That's all I want is you to answer me a question. He would not come in. Can I also tell you that Mike had moved on to somebody else already? All right, Mike is his, Mike is the boyfriend's name. That's that. Yeah. that all right, that's fine. We'll. I'll, that's fine. As long as long as we don't use the last name, that's fine. Go, Mike. Mike's a common enough name. So he moved on to another girl, uh, even though Kim was missing. Yeah, and point blank, <laughs> it's like nobody wanted to help us. Yeah. The police didn't want to help. Her friends didn't want to help. And all my family knew was we don't have her, and we're desperate for answers. We're still desperate for yeah, answers. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. I, I, I totally understand. I, I, I cover a lot of disappearance from the 1980s that are unsolved. Uh, all different types of disappearances. Some like Kim's, maybe others where maybe foul play isn't maybe as probable. But yeah, everybody's looking for answers. That's what we're, try we're trying to do here at Unfound. Get the, get the facts and everything out there. You bring something up there about friends, though. Let's talk maybe about some of the friends that you trust. You know, what? Did, of course, Rhonda, of course, can't be trusted. But what about, you know, Kim's good friends? You know, ones that are solid, men or women, boys or girls. Um, what were their impressions uh, about her, her going missing? You know, what could they offer? They, they were doing the same thing. They were asking questions. They were trying to get the answers. Everybody in the town went, hush. It was like it was taboo. If you tried to bring up Kim's name, everybody just shut up and they disappeared. 
You know, nobody in the town wanted to even acknowledge that she was alive. In, in the years, in talking to other people that didn't necessarily have answers, okay. families were spooked. Yeah. Uh, we had some friends of ours down the road, and I've talked to her, and she says, you know, parents started saying, we want to know more. What? Where are you going? When yeah. are you coming home? Who are you going to be with? All of a sudden, for a small community, everybody knew us, and my family was being put under a microscope. Everybody knew who we were and what was happening, but we were almost like we were friggin' aliens because nobody wanted to talk to us and nobody, not the right, not the right people wanted to help. We had people that wanted to try to help, but they didn't know the facts and they didn't know how to help. And then other people just basically shunned us you know there's a lot of compassionate families out there who's tried to help my family yeah but honestly they don't have a clue what's going on you can't give me answers if you weren't there that's right and there was a very very small group of people that were actually there i believe in my heart more than one person has an answer for us and it can Believe end, that. but we need that person to just throw a pair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> now maybe uh, maybe we should talk about this just for a, a, a minute. How big is how big is, yeah how big is J? This is J Maine J A Y like a man's name J J Maine. How big is this town? Thirty-five hundred people. All right, very small, like very similar to my town of seventy-five hundred people in all. In yeah, that's involved in the whole community and around. You got yeah. Jay, Livermore Falls, not Jay, and I mean Wilton. Mm -hmm. We're talking about seventy-five hundred people. Is what you're talking yeah. about? Stretched out over a twenty-plus uh, mile uh, distance. Okay. And so it's, uh, I have to admit, I'm originally, if you don't know, I'm originally from Leechburg, Pennsylvania, which is like 40 minutes northeast of uh, Pittsburgh, and it's very similar. Okay. Same thing, uh, 6,000, 6,500 people in the town and like the surrounding townships, couple of townships there, so I'm kind of familiar with that same type of thing, uh, same type of little, uh, you know, town growing up there. My high school class only had 71 people in it. Um, you know, being that you all lived there, grew up there, uh, can you explain that, how the, the town reacted the way it did? You know, we hear so much about small towns, you know, coming together and everything. This doesn't sound like that. So any insight from the three of you who have actually lived there? Well, the only thing I can honestly say is that, uh, people were trying to give us moral support. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they have conflicting stories back and forth. Yeah. You've got to remember, people, if we talk to reporters and we gave them a story about what was going on with Kim, 
they would turn around and uh, they would leave us. They would go talk to police. Police would say she was only a damn runaway and that mm -hmm. uh, she had done this thing before. So now we're being looked at as if we're a bunch of, we're a doggone bunch of jerks. And yep. We can't control our kids and so forth. And I'm going yeah. through the whole scrutiny of that as well as uh, her mother. And, and, of course, my two daughters are going through the same thing. Right. And because of the scrutiny, that made, at times, stories not to be aired on television because we would get a newscast to come over and interview, and then the story wouldn't be aired in the very beginning, wow. or a newspaper article wouldn't come out. Because the policemen were telling them not to air the stories. Yeah. And the best part about this is she never ran away. Not once in her life did she yeah. ever run away. I believe we you. We never had to go searching for her. I believe you. I, 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 and this is, about, I believe you. Everything about this whole doggone thing, Ed, turned out that uh, we had anything that was going to be put on the open media. Mm-hmm. Had to go through state police to be even cleared. Yeah. So if they didn't we like what that. we said, too bad. If we tried to make uh, police, if we tried to make police look bad, oh that, oh no, you can't have that. Mm. So everything was just getting all filtered out. And a lot of times when we told it, when we would have the story, and then it actually came out, <laughs> like you said, we'd do an hour and a half interview. Yeah. And you probably got, if you were lucky, you maybe got uh, 30 seconds yep. on TV right. with it. Right, right. Totally true. And, I know. And that's still, and unfortunately, they still do that today. Yeah. Well, as you already know, uh, I don't do that here. Uh, this, you know, this interview is, uh, we're about an hour and 20 minutes or something into it. You know, it's all going to play, everything that all of you are saying. You know, there's no filter here, but... I know, uh, you know, and I, I know you probably don't follow other things that I do, but just certainly within the last few months, I've been kind of on this kick that, you know, sometimes police uh, get more in the way than being helpful. And one of the ways is they try to spike stories. If there's going to be a disappearance story, the police know you can't print that because... This still happens to this day in 2024. It still happens. Oh, I it. It still happens. I believe it. Um... This is something uh, you might have to take this out of the interview. Well, you this just, uh, I'll determine that. that. Just, yeah, go ahead, please. I'm, I'm going to tell you this. This is something we were told back then. The police department, the chief of police told the other people that were working the case, either you stop working it or you're going to be fired. Now, how, do, how does a chief of police tell their people that are trying to help find a solve a person that's missing? No, you can't look for her anymore. Otherwise, you're going to be fired. How did you find... When did you find out about this? How did you find out about this? Found out about it from the detectives that were trying to... Uh, from the patrol mm -hmm. officers that were trying to work with us. Mm -hmm. Because they liked us and the chief of police didn't. Why do you think... Because I had two of the patrol officers I knew in town. And they were trying to work with us. Did this chief of police have a reputation for any other sites of crimes and incidents in that area, or what was what was his reputation? He he was brought from a different area because he was fired from the other place. 
uh-huh. for doing something wrong at that place. Okay. And, and, and something we didn't tell you, that night that Kim disappeared, there was a party at his house that his son was throwing. And he got home, and they were all minors, and he got home and realized that they were all drinking. And instead of making sure that they didn't drink, he told him to get off his, excuse my language, property. Okay. I won't say the word I want to say. But he was told that to leave, and he sent all these drunk kids out there on the road. And then mm-hmm. realizing what the heck he had done, well, if one of them gets in an accident, they mm-hmm. say that it, they've been over to his house. Now he's going to get in trouble. He turned around at the time. Any call that came in was all recorded. It was handwritten because it was not all done electronically. He mm-hmm. went up and he told he told the officers that responded, if I see a word about that on, on any damn report, you're fired. He went up to the dispatcher and he turned around and told him, he says, if a word of that appears in your log, and I know this because I talked to the dispatcher, he says, you will also be fired. So does that sound nice. like cover up so to you well, starting it? Well, I really, I'll just ask this question. I, I guess we have to go here because I ask questions. That's what I do. Did Kimberly know the police chief's son? Yes. Yes. We all did. Okay. All right. Give something, everybody something more to think about. As long as it's factual, we can talk about it. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily cover up. Don't get, don't get, you know, don't get me wrong. I've covered a lot of uh, insubordination and corruption of police departments and everything over my seven and a half years of doing this. And, you know, certainly there are some police officers we've talked about who might be responsible for disappearances. It's not totally crazy, you know. I don't know necessarily what to think here, but it, you know, certainly it's it's a topic that's come up before, certainly. So okay, all right. So that gives something more for everybody. To, how long was that guy, the police uh, chief of police? Uh, you know, how long did he last? Couple of years. Couple of years. Okay. Well, what about the the man or woman who took his place? Any better or what? Absolutely better. Okay. He did. He, he tried. He tried to rectify a wrong. Okay, that's good to hear. He tried to rectify a wrong, and uh, he turned around and uh, he would work with us, and he would try. He would try to go okay. and uh, get things done. Let's move. Uh, let's move this back now to Brian. Of course, we've talked about him as different stories and claim he dropped Kim off the street. But Richard, you told me that he had made a statement to the police about, you know, they, I don't know if they were asking, well, if we find her something, and Brian said, oh, no, there's no hole in her head. What is that story? Maybe you want to recount that now. Well, it was on her 17th, 17th anniversary that she was missing. Uh, she, uh, Brian was up <coughs> there talking with, with the detective that had the case at the time. They were driving around over in Meadowview. And uh, detective just kind of casually mentioned, because Brian would say, well, geez, you know, I heard this, or I heard that, and I heard this spot. Well, detective would say, can you show me where that is? And they'd, they'd go out there and look. And detective casually mentioned, he says, you know, he says, after all this doggone time, Brian, he says, it's only a, 
this is only a class D misdemeanor that because uh, it would be a hiding of a corpse is all it would be unless we find her and she has a hole in her head and it, those words came out of his mouth and then right behind it Brian says oh no she ain't got any hole in her head oh is that right Brian how do you know that <laughs> that's Oh, no, 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 no. They never asked them. They never asked them. Why would they ask those questions? Right, right. Why would they ask good questions? Okay. And then if I talk to the detective today, detective says, well, no, really didn't happen that way. Then I said, what the hell did you tell me that for? Mm -hmm. You lying to me? So I says, I can't believe you either. So on the 17th anniversary, so this is like 2003? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now I have to ask you, what is, uh, just in general, we're going to talk about Darren and Kelvin here in a bit, but what has Brian uh, done with his life since 1986? What kind of life has he led? He's worked on a farm. Okay. Because that's what he's done most of his life, driven truck and so forth and worked on the farms. And the other thing he does, he drinks. Okay. He loves to shoot guns. All right, so he's still alive here, and to your knowledge, oh, in 2024. Yeah. 38 years later, so he's like 63. 63 yeah. years. Okay. All right, uh, moving on, let's talk about Darren. Now, Dar now, Darren is the one who claims that he got dropped off at work before Kimberly got dropped off to go to the bathroom we have to remind everybody, it was actually Darren's car that was being driven that night? Yes. All right, it was like a Trans Am Monte Carlo, something like that. Right. But it got wrecked. This is once again something, Richard, you told me before. I don't know what to make of this, but we'll talk about it. At some point after, shortly after Kimberly's disappearance, the car got, you know, had, it looked like it had been sideswiped. What can you say about this story? The only thing I can tell you for sure on that is that the guy was sitting over in his sister's dooryard. Mm -hmm. I talked with uh, the gentleman that uh, used to do body work up in that area. De uh, Darren came in, gave him $4,200 cash, told him he wanted that car fixed and he wanted it kept quiet. Get rid of whatever parts he had to get rid of and uh, do that. But he wanted that car repaired as if it, nothing had ever happened to him. And this car still had 10-day blades on it. So, uh, the, as best as you three can... The gentleman that did it please, is yeah, dead. Okay. The gentleman that did it now is dead. Andy okay. Dubois. Is it your impression, the three of you, best as you can tell, do you think that, once again, it wasn't necessarily wrecked? It sounds to me, I, of course, I didn't say it, but it just got sideswiped. It was like it was still drivable, but it brushed up against something or something. Um, yeah, it, it, it went, right down, went down the passenger's side. Right. Uh, as best as you can tell, could it be that this car got damaged that way on the night or early morning that Kim went missing? Or does that, that does the timeline work I out or not? I can't tell you that for sure, but it, it had to be very close to that. Very close. If it wasn't that night, it had to be very close because this year is this year is now uh, less than a week after Kim is gone. Okay, very good. All right, so 
We have to keep that in mind that maybe, possibly, that this car was fine on the day that Kimberly and Rhonda, they were riding around in it, but then just a few days later, the car has been sideswiped, and it could have happened right around the time that Kim went missing. I think it's just something we need to keep in mind. Now, you did... did yeah. So, how could that figure into all of this? Um, you did, did you tell me, Richard, that this car was actually eventually tracked down? That he got rid of it, but like years later they, they tracked it down or something? Yes. The guy, the guy had three original, had three owners. Okay. One was Darren, one was a woman up in Farmington, Maine, and when she sold it, she sold it to a police officer in the Rumford Police Department, he was a lieutenant. That that got tracked down, and almost well, it was almost eighteen years wow. afterwards, they found out that the car was there. When I made a suggestion to him one day, I said, "Jesus, what? We've got a whole, uh, we've got the whole automotive bureau down here. You mean uh, to say you can't find out who owns the car?" Yeah. And Jesus, you know what? Remarkably, within a week, they found out that. This lieutenant over in Rumford owned the car. Huh. The car was brought down to Augusta, and they did DNA testing and everything on it then. Okay. But I mean, yeah. this is this is almost eighteen years later, so that's true. We didn't find it. Uh, I know 18 years, uh, that, that's bad news, but I, I can tell you in a lot of disappearances I cover, police don't do anything. Sure, sure, certainly cars could be involved in disappearances, and they don't bother tracking them down at all. So, all right, so they, they found this car, forensics done. Of course, that was uh, 18 years after she went missing, 2004, so that's 20 years ago now. Regarding Darren, uh, do you have any idea, of course... His story is that, you know, I got dropped off at work before Kim even got dropped off to go to the bathroom. Does this story hold up? Is there anybody who vouched for him in his work or his job, time slips, anything like that? Do any of you know? The only thing that we can honestly say is there is a time slip that he, he checked into work at 1020 at night and was punched at, punched out at 620 in the morning. Mm -hmm. But it was not uncommon back then that you could have picked up a phone and called a buddy right. up and said, hey, I ain't feeling too damn good tonight. Cover my damn job and punch me in and out in the morning. Okay. Punch me in, punch me out. All right. We, can, uh, we know there's a time slip there for him. Okay. So the last time, just to say for Darren, what Darren is saying, the last time I saw Kim, she was with Brian and Rhonda. Yep. Okay. I also want to add in that me and Bob tracked down Darren. Okay, tell we us. Tried to, we tried to talk to Darren. We pulled up beside him mm -hmm. and asked, where is Kim? And he said, I don't know Kim. And it's like, yes, you do know Kim. Kim was with Rhonda on May 10th. And his answer to me was, oh, was that her name? Wow. Okay. He got real, he got really angry, peeled out of the parking lot, squealing tire, and drove away. Okay. And I got very defensive because, in my opinion, 
right from the start, it was, was that her name? It sounded so past tense to me, and maybe most people mm -hmm. wouldn't take it that way, okay. but to me, it felt like she had already passed and he knew it. Okay. How, when was it? Yeah, you're gonna have to. Otherwise, that is that her name. Yeah, you're gonna have to tell us when did this happen, uh, Karen? When did this happen? Within, within days of seeing, within days of Kim going missing. All right, so missing. all right, so this could this could have easily been actually in May of 1986. Definitely. Definitely. All right. So you you see him. He doesn't want to talk about it. He squeals out. He doesn't want to be patient with you. He doesn't want to be sympathetic with you. He just has things to do. And and we also have to remember Darren was still dating Rhonda at that time, too. Right. Okay. Um, in August, both state police and local police saw the car parked with it still had 10-day plates on it. Okay. All right, this morning call. Darren tried to... Trans Am. Darren tried to Darren tried to return the car, and they wouldn't let him take it back. Okay. All right. Uh, he lets his I guess allegedly lets his buddy uh, Darren goes to work. He lets his buddy Brian drive it. A few days later, it's sideswiped. Still has the ten day plate on it. Months later, um, and um, you know it, it may be a little confusing to people because not every state handles like car registrations and things. A little bit differently, but you get it was like a what you're saying a ten day plate. It's like a paper plate. It's made like out of cardboard or something. Yeah, right. temporary plate you're given when you buy it. Right. Okay. Whereas if you don't know this, only because my family was in the car business back in Pennsylvania in the 1990s. In Pennsylvania, you don't get paper license plate. You actually get a metal plate right from the start. So you know it varies from state to state. So if anybody's wondering what they're talking about this ten day plate thing, you get this paper plate. And you have so many days to go get the car registered. So, okay. Right. Okay, very good. Now, though, with Darren, though, Richard, you told me about the story in the 2000s where, just like Rhonda, maybe Darren felt like he wanted to start talking as well, but what happened? Well, Darren had got picked up for uh, dealing drugs. And he was dealing drugs directly to a federal narcotics agent. He had four charges on him for uh, dealing drugs in a school zone, three directly to a uh, federal NAC. He turned around and he was trying to make a deal with the district attorney that he was going to give us. He said that he would give us Kim. Okay. And then some smart lawyer opened his mouth and said, listen, just keep your mouth shut. I'll get you out of it. I know that I've got a real good friend that was working in the mill with him at the time. It turned out a few months later, my friend asked him, he said, geez, Karen, he says, how the heck did you ever make out with that uh, whole doggone charge that you had going on? He said, well, he says, it cost me most of my 401k, but he says, I know somewhere between seventy and $100,000 I get off. Well, with seven judges, he, he ended up getting a year's, 
a year's probation, a thousand dollar fine, and it all wiped off his record after a year. Tell me somebody along the line didn't get bought off on that one, and I'm going to tell you that I guess I'm more stupid than I think I am. What gave you the idea that maybe Darren was, uh, who, who told you maybe that Darren was going to have something to say about Kimberly's disappearance? How, did, did you find out that the time? Detective. The detective. The had the case at the time. Okay. All right, so a lawyer gets in the way of that. Right. Okay. And what has Darren done with his life? Uh, doesn't sound like he was doing too well when that happened. What's he done with his life since? Nothing. Well, his house just burned down last year. It did. Okay. I really don't. I really can't tell you anything beyond that point. All I know is mm -hmm. anything. Uh, one of the things I can tell you is that when they went into his place to serve him, uh, his papers when they arrested him, they went in the garage and he had a stack of posters of Kim that I had put up on telephone poles, and he had a stack of uh, about two feet stacked right there in his garage. He takes them down, but he can't get rid of them. So you but, were putting up flyers in, like, posters and things, and he was going around taking them and collecting them? Correct. Wow. I put them up, and within, uh, put them up and, uh, within, within two hours, they were already down. And how long, being that somebody saw the stack, how long had he been, could have been doing that to collect that many? How long had he uh, been doing that? Well, I started, I started doing it in, uh, around 2002 or three. I started doing that. Right, so 16, 17 years uh, later, and already then he sees those, and, and that's when he starts collecting them, stealing them. Okay. we got to go back. This is about five years ago. Okay, go ahead. No, he... This about five years ago that he was arrested. Oh, yeah, five years ago. So is it your impression then that those posters and everything sat in his place for all those years? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. He kept collecting. Oh, my goodness. I put them up. That's a I new put them up, and I had a friend of mine that was sitting there, and he, he was watching it, and says, I drove off, and it was in 10 minutes later. He was out there on a stepladder, and he was taking it back down. And the three of you were not aware that he was he was the one taking them until this person saw them in there. Right. Yeah, right. see him do it. We know that, <coughs> oh my goodness. We know that I've still got them that disappeared today. I put them up and I, I still have some disappeared. Yeah, I put that, some that happens a lot. You okay. got to realize something else, too. Go ahead. Some people, I had somebody at work that told me that they had seen somebody covering up Kim's poster with a yard sale sign. We've had posters that Kim's eye was then cut out of. There's a lot of weird things that people do that you don't always get answers for. Right. And some people just want to turn around and they just want a poster. Yep. Well, all I've ever said is if you want a doggone poster, just call me up. I'll, I'll gladly give you one because the cost of putting up one of these posters 
uh, we have special tape that we use them. We're using racing tape that costs that costs you like eleven bucks a roll. Well, uh, sometimes you go by the time you laminate it, you get this tape, you put it up in and run the dog on on telephone pole. You don't get too many times around the telephone pole where a roll of tape is gone. So the expense gets up there rather quickly. So just call me up. I'll give you. A, I'll give you a poster. I'll even give you one that's all laminated. Did uh, Darren ever give an explanation of why he had all those posters in his place? No. Okay. All I know is that I had a friend of mine ask him about it, and he told him get the hell out of there and get out now. Right. Okay. All right, that's a first. That is, uh, I've heard a lot of crazy stories, as you can imagine, over the last seven and a half years, 300 some disappearances. That is a first. Let's move well, on to this. I say that's called a trophy. Excuse me? I said, I say we call that a trophy. Yeah, yeah I do good. Especially since it seems like he did it like years after she went missing. You know, these posters were not once put up in 86 and then he's going around in 86 and 87 and taking them. He's doing this in the 2000s. Right. Well, okay. the reason the reason being is I didn't start putting them up until oh. like, uh, the early 2000s. Okay. Yeah. And when I started putting them up, he's working in the mill. His name is on it. Brian's name is on it. And he's got guys coming at the mill and saying, hey, what the hell is this? Jeez, I see a picture of that girl that's missing, and your name's on it, and Brian's name's on it, and all of this. So he, I guess he figures if he takes it down, people ain't going to ask him about it. I don't know. Okay. I'm just giving you okay. my summation yep. of what I think. I got I got gotcha. Let's move on to the third guy that has been mentioned uh, prominently, uh, these, uh, this trio. And that is Kelvin. Now, I have this story here. Of course, we've talked about how he got in this car wreck. A young woman died back in the late 70s, yeah, well. and, and we know that. But did he somehow end up... We, this this um, class ring conversation came up maybe a half hour ago, just in passing, but I want to come back to it. Did Kelvin end up with Kimberly's class ring? Yes, he did. How does he say that happened? Because the person who had it gave it to him for alcohol. Or sold it to him for alcohol. Okay. Uh, how did, when did you find, how did you find this out? When did you find this out? When did this We found this out with Detective Richard Pickett. When he went down to Pennsylvania, he was down there serving uh, federal time down there for uh, narcotics selling narcotics and he was down there and detective pickett went down there and started asking him if he knew anything about it he says oh yeah he says you go home tell my mother to look up in this certain cupboard here and he wrote her a note and the ring was in a doggone um, envelope so we got it back that mm -hmm. would have been 90 Probably 91, 92, somewhere in there. Okay, so Could seemingly... Somewhere in, somewhere in the last part of the 80s, early 90s. So he had her class ring for multiple years. 
Yes. And he says the that going back to the the boyfriend. So the boyfriend had this ring, and he traded it for alcohol to Kelvin. Yes. So that is, I guess, what we're saying also here is that is how well Kimberly's, I guess, ex-boyfriend at the time of her disappearance, I guess, that is how well this boyfriend or ex-boyfriend knew Kelvin good enough that they would train, trade beer and a class ring. But before he gave it to him, yeah. he tried pawning it in at a local pawn shop that we had in our town. And the guy said no. He figured out whose ring it was, and the guy would not mm. take it from him. Wow. So Kelvin ends up with a, a missing girl's class ring somehow. And this, and can it be verified either way? Did Kimberly? Um, we actually have somebody who actually saw him wearing it for a while. Okay. So, but I guess what we're also saying though is Kimberly was not wearing her class ring at the time of her disappearance, or, or yes or no? No, she was wearing Mike's when she disappeared. She was wearing Mike's. All right, yeah, so they Mike trade. had hers, and she and uh, gotcha. she had Mike's. Okay. Being teenagers, they exchanged rings when they were dating. Yeah, I remember those days. Right, right. A lot of times, girls used to wear them on chains around their neck because the rings were too big to fit on yes. our fingers. Yeah, that's right. And therefore, we'd wear them on necklaces, and that was just. A very common thing. Okay. And because they were right. dating, they had each other's rings. Right. It was either that or you used an awful lot of tape on it. You had a you had about <laughs> an inch you had about an inch of tape on the bottom. Either of that or yarn. Right. Yeah. Yarn, yarn, yeah. I guess what we're also saying though but is there, please go ahead, please. I'm sorry, go ahead. But also you have to think of it this way. Now, Mike is telling the police that he doesn't know where the ring is. So he's lying to police yeah, he that he's tried to spawn it in. Yeah, he and is. then he sells it to, to Calvin. Yep. So he knew what he was talking about, but he's lying to police about it. He lied to me about the ring. And that was right after her disappearance. Why would, you know, I, I have to admit, I'm not a beer drinker at all, and I maybe had a class ring, but I don't even remember. That seems like a weird trade. You trade a class ring for beer. Wouldn't Calvin rather have money, or what? What was going on there? That seems weird. No, no, no. no this is another trophy. That's a trophy for Calvin. It's a trophy for Calvin. Okay. But Mike was Mike was into doing a lot of drinking at the time, and he and he was on the verge of being an alcoholic at the time. Okay. So Calvin has the beer. He just, he just traded off the ring. Give me something to drink and I'll be happy. Okay. So what did, when they went to talk to Calvin, and of course I guess he eventually made it, he had this ring, I guess. Uh, what does he had to say about Kimberly's disappearance? Calvin being that there was this car wreck where one woman already has died, what did he have to say about Kimberly's disappearance? I don't know her I used to call him every day while I was still at work when Kim first disappeared. Mm. Like the first week or a week and a half after Kim disappeared. I'd be at work and I'd call home to my mom and I'd go, Mom, any news? And she'd go, nope, still haven't heard anything. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm still on break, so I'm going to call Calvin. So I'd pick up the phone and I'd call Calvin and I'd say, hey, Calvin, this is Diane. He'd say, yeah, what's going on? Well, 
Kim's still just Kim's still missing. Do you know anything about it? No, I don't know anything about it. I don't know nothing about it. And he'd just act like he was completely stupid. Okay. Do we know, happen to know, of course we know Brian's alibi. We know seemingly maybe it's a lie, but we know Darren's alibi. What alibi does Calvin have for that night? Does anybody know? Has anybody checked that? No, we've never heard any alibi on that night. Nothing. The only thing that we ever was told is he was riding around. Um, we were we were also told that he was at Farrington's party. He that was the chief, the chief of police. And then turned the, around and left because after seeing who was there. All right, the chief of police's party. Correct. Yes. Okay. All right. So he was out. He was probably out there somewhere that night. Okay. So we got these three guys. We got Brian. We got Darren. We got Calvin. We got the uh, ex-boyfriend who, of course, knew Calvin well enough that they would trade a ring for beer. You know, he knows at least Calvin. And uh, we have these stories. We have Brian telling multiple different stories. And, of course, in my opinion, as a person who just is finding out about Kimberly's disappearance recently, his name seems to be the most prominent. You know, when people write about Kimberly's disappearance and who might be involved, Brian's uh, name is uh, most prominent. He's told different stories. He's driving somebody else's car. This car somehow got at least partially wrecked, although it was still drivable around the same time that Kim went missing. Kim that night, Karen, you see her. She sees, uh, she comes home to go to the bathroom. She seems like Kimberly. She's not drunk. She's not worried. She's not stressed. She's smiling. She's eager to go back out and continue on with the night. Says she'll go back for, uh, be back in an hour and uh, never, of course, comes back. I want to ask you this. Regarding, as best as you can tell, after Kimberly leaves the house, is there any confirmed sightings of her with Brian or anybody else that is believable, or is it just like nobody seemingly saw her after that? After that, it's like she just absolutely vanished. Okay. is the only person that says she saw her after that. But after after right. leaving the house, it's like right. she just disappeared from the face of the earth. Okay, we have to remember Ron also admits to be with him, with her. Right. Okay. Brian admits it. Yeah. That he was with him. But that's it. <coughs> that's the only two that can ever say anything. But <coughs> we can't. We have not found anybody that would confirm that mm -hmm. uh, they could honestly tell us that. As an example, at midnight, they saw Kim. Right. Um, this uh, area that you had referred to, kind of a parking spot, I guess, for teenagers and young, uh, other young people, uh, is, you know, of course, Brian said, you know, as Richard, as you said earlier, consensual sex. You know, Brian, I guess, really, really stressed that. Um, nobody saw that car that night, no witnesses, uh, seeing a car up there, like that description in that area that night, anything like that? No. No. And where would, okay, and what about Brian? Like she left, Please. it's like when she left the house, she vanished at yeah. that point. Yeah, got it. Uh, what was Brian's living situation at the time? Was he living by himself, with his parents, with friends? Where was he living uh, at the time? Do we know? He was living at, he was living at home at the time. Okay. He was living with his mother. Okay. So there's that as well. All right. 
over the years, uh, you know, I, I, ha I have to ask this. It just isn't very clear to me, but I don't know the area. Uh, any searches ever been done? Any organized searches? I mean, and what, you know, what, where would you even begin to look? Of course, we, of course, hope that Kimberly might be alive out there somewhere, but if she's not, where would you even begin to look in, in something like this? And, and if you have searched, how do you determine those areas? The very first search that they did that I can remember was volunteers. Was volunteers. We got everybody together at our local church. We all met in the parking lot. Everybody was given an assignment. Certain people went to a pond that we used to go to. Um, mm. I was one of the ones that went to Piss Hill, where I, we, you had talked mm, yeah. about earlier. Yes. Um, now, they, everybody was given certain areas. We were all told to go out. We were lifting up leaves. We were moving logs. We were looking under anything that we'd see. Um, now, everybody is out there, and if a bird would move in the woods, I mean, now, everybody jumps, because it's something that's not supposed to, you know, it's even mm -hmm. though it's supposed to be there, we're not supposed to be there. Right. It scares the living jeebies out of us. Nobody should have to go out there and <coughs> lift up something, hoping that you don't see your dead sister underneath it. Of course. Yes. We want to stress that in the very beginning, where we weren't getting help from local law enforcement and friends... Your family gets desperate. We mm. did talk to some psychics trying to get mm. help. And psychics, one of the things that they told us was, look for something with the letter P. So that's why Piss Hill, parks, ponds, mm. stuff like that. They also told us that she was very close to home, but she was deceased. And she was by water, by a tree, by a rock. Well, the <laughs> stupid thing is that every friggin' part um, of our town, there is shit. Our whole state. Yeah, I am. <coughs> right. Yeah, uh, we don't, I don't take psychics seriously at all, and that's the reason we don't talk about them. I don't ask about them during interviews that I do for the podcast. Uh, the next time they solve a disappearance will be the first time. So I, so I, 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 I know what you're talking about. Um, they're just not helpful at all. Um, it's not helpful, but you got to understand the mind frame of a family desperate. that is desperate, desperate for help. For sure. Desperate. For they, sure. they were at least willing to work with us. Yeah. I turned around and paid Sylvia Brown. I paid Sylvia Brown. She was on Maury Povich. Wow. I paid her six hundred dollars to give us information mm. that was so far off track that it it, mm. it didn't even make sense. Yeah. Sylvia Brown is also the person where the the girls were missing in Ohio, and she told one of the mothers yeah. that she was not around. Well, she was in the house. She was still alive, yep. and she Castro. the mother died thinking that her child was dead, yep. and she's still very much alive today. Yeah, Ariel Castro, the guy that took those... Correct, yeah, correct. Ariel Castro. Ariel Castro, right, okay. But, they, but she told her mother that... She told one of the mothers, no, she is very, very much dead. But even I, today... I don't, uh, I don't talk to I psychics. Want you to understand don't it. I want you to understand that... Yeah? Yes, we have... We have continued for 38 years. We have continued to do searches every single year with all the information we get. 
from people, whatever tip it is, we go out and we continue to do searches. And some of them are all with police, with the dogs and so forth, and I'm not even allowed to. I'm not even allowed to be on a search with the state police any longer, which I think is neither here or there. BS. We aren't going to go down that road. Yeah, BS. The other thing is that uh, we have done countless, countless searches. I spent an entire summer actually clearing swamp because of information that we had got. Mm-hmm. And when I say clearing it, I mean I'd sit just as clean as a doggone middle of the road. And then turn around, metal detected it, and did the whole doggone thing. So, yes, and that mm-hmm. was all, that was all I was doing this year when my wife was dying. Right. So I'm trying to bring her home. Right. Please. Something that we've done is we have a, on Facebook, Yeah. we have a page that's called Kimberly Morrow Missing in J. Maine. Mm-hmm. It is, um, we have a chat group. We have over 7,300 members on this page. Excellent. Where we put in things all the time. We're, you know, we're, we're trying to update people with what's going on, trying to get information from them, seeing if they have something new. Um, we have people from all over the world that is in this page. Um, you know, we're, we, we put things, things out there the other day. Like I said, four days ago was Kim's birthday. So we posted a picture of Kim on there. Um, and saying that it's been 55 years instead of being with her, you know, she would have been 55 today. Instead of being with her, it's 38 years we're missing her. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully yeah. she's in heaven having a party with our family that's up there, but we want her back on earth. We'd love to be able to have her here with us to be able to prove that she's not missing. That would be such a wonderful thing. Yeah, it would. You know, it's sad to say, but would it be nice that she'd be like this? these girls that were with Castro? Right. You know, she's locked up in some home somewhere. That's horrible to say, but that's really sad that we think that way. Yeah. Yeah. On that page, there's a video of Kim that was created years after she went missing, and somebody took one of our pictures, and... It actually has Kim looking around and smiling at us. And let's just say it's an amazing thing that this can be done through technology of today because when our family first opened this, it was like she was alive. Yep. I've seen those done. Yes. I've seen that. Seen those done. I I want to ask you about those. uh, Maybe even we'll just include the ex-boyfriend in here too. This sometimes comes up in disappearances that I've covered, so I'm going to ask you about it. Any stories from women who dated these guys after where maybe one of these guys got angry and said something along the lines of, you know, if you don't behave yourself or you don't shut up, I'm going to do to you what I did to Kimberly. Has anything like that ever come up over the years with any of these guys who we talked about during this? Because like I said, it, it comes up, you know, once in a while on these interviews that I do. So I'm going to ask you, all of you, have you ever heard anything like that? Any women kind of saying, well, you know, he talked about Kimberly in not very good terms. I, I talked to a woman who told me that 
she got she got in a car with Darren and she really feels that <coughs> Darren was a rapist and she felt her life was in jeopardy and she had a car that was broke down and said that Darren was going very fast and she felt very unsafe and felt that he was bringing her to a location she didn't want to be in. Mm-hmm. And she freaked out and got out of the car and to this day says that he still gives her the heebie-jeebies. Great. But I don't really know this woman or her character. Right. Just Is this something that came over like through Facebook or something? There was also a girl named who was okay. afraid of Calvin and she said that she felt like Calvin was also that way and creepy and mm-hmm. and yeah. just out to make sure that she wouldn't be able to tell the stories that she wants to tell. Okay. Why don't we not, let's not forget, of course, Calvin in this car wreck from the late 1970s. Why don't you give that woman's, you know, we, you know, she got killed, I guess, in a car wreck while Calvin was driving. Let's not forget her either. What was her name again? And maybe why don't you spell her last name as well, as well if anybody wants to look that up. Cindy. F-O-U-R-N-I-E-R. Okay, thank you. I'm going I'm, I'm to look some more into that myself. I think throughout this, of course, we've been going for about two hours now. Totally fine. Not unusual for the interviews that I do. Obviously, for the, all three of you, you know, we can hear your pain um, with Kimberly's disappearance. About, and, and, of course, I, I, I also know, although we've not talked about it specifically, I guess that your mother died of her cancer just a couple years after this, 87, 88? She died in 88, May 80, of 88. 88. Okay. In 86, we lost him. In 87, I lost my grandfather. In 88, we lost my mother. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And I, right. was working at, I was working at the International Paper Company, and uh, the strike in 87, I had to work through that strike mm. in the in uh, 87, while my wife was dying. Yeah. Okay. Oh, my. Cool. How was this, uh, you know, obviously, obviously, this is, you know, has affected your total lives. And uh, I realize that uh, even if she were to turn up alive uh, tomorrow, that still your lives have been always affected by this. Uh, you know, for Karen and Diane, how has this affected you as uh, women? Of course, you may be becoming parents with your own kids. And how has this affected the two of you as you've, uh, you know, grow, you know, I never, wanted, I never wanted kids. Okay. I don't have children. All right, me I either. never wanted kids. I don't want to have to deal with going through this. Yeah. No family should have to live through right. what we have. Right. Right. I can tell you I have two kids and I have a grandson. And for me, it back in before Kim went missing, I thought of the world as a very different place, a very mm. safe place. After Kim went missing, I never felt safe anymore. I did things like get into a vehicle and look in the back seat Yeah. Yep. because is somebody out there looking to hurt me? 
I'd go shopping, have somebody approach me in a store sometimes in a very unkind way, just wanting to talk. To this day, I'm working in a hospital, and I still, to this day, have people come in and ask me, any answers on your sister? Sometimes people are just being compassionate, saying, hey, she's not forgotten. I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. I hate to hear somebody say, I know how you feel because, no, you don't no, know how I no feel. Way. You no, have compassion. No. You try. You have, but you don't know what my family's been through. And then you also have the people on this end that will go, well, why do you keep looking? Why don't you just give up? Exactly. You're never <laughs> going to find her. Yep. Why don't you just stop? Mm, it's been so long. Solid. Why keep it going? She's my sister, that's why. I can honestly say I made a promise that I would I would never stop walking as long as I possibly could. And uh, here I am, 81, and I'm still walking. Yeah. I've recently gone through surgery. Don't make any difference. I'm sitting here, we're doing this. Don't mm -hmm. make any difference. I was in the hospital, and I, and I was <laughs> thinking about what the heck is going on here. And uh, what can we, what's next step that we can do that could possibly get us that one piece of information that we need just to find our remains? That's all we want. I don't care mm -hmm. nothing about getting anybody prosecuted. All I want to do is get her remains home and get her uh, buried side of her mother. Mm -hmm. I want to say something about statistics. Go ahead. The National Missing and Unidentified Persons, which they also call NAMUS, says 600,000 people are reported missing every year. 4,400 unidentified bodies are discovered every year. There's one disappearance in the U.S. officially recorded every 90 seconds yeah. 90 seconds a minute and a half yep we understand there's only so much law enforcement and they can only do so much but what point blank pisses us off is when we're offered help and we are denied we still to this day have been offered help and the state of Maine will not let us bring in people that could help us get answers. And it's wrong, and every victim's family should be able to stand up and be held ac accountable to answer for our loved ones that aren't able. Nobody should be denied help. And nobody should have to go through the hell we've been through. We still want answers. Kim's always going to be my sister. But it's changed my life. And I miss her.
I, I should ask you, um, regarding, I mean, obviously we've talked about a couple different uh, police departments, including the Maine State Police here. Uh, do you have all the paperwork? Have you done a FOIA request for the paperwork? Is, have they gone along with that? Or have they kind of stonewalled you on that? The official paperwork, like the entire file that's been accumulated since 1986, do you have that or what? We have bits and pieces, but we've been denied. The state police will not work with my family and release those records okay. to us. They uh, because they say it's an open case and we're, we should not be we should not be included in everything. We should not know everything that's happened. Okay. Even though we've filled out the forms, we've turned it in, and we get rejected. We get rejected. But we've been rejected our whole lives, so yeah. why would we think it would be anything different yeah, now? It's very common. It's always the question. Well, it's been, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's going to be uh, 38 years here in May. And it's like, what's well, 38 years? You know, when is good? 50, 75, 100, 200 years? I mean, are you saying like forever? That, you know, it's. Just... Uh, no, probably, probably when we're all dead, then they might bring out <laughs> yes, something. Yes, maybe. But, you know, yeah, I, that's yeah. how we feel. Like, yeah. they they just put us on the back burner like they started at the beginning. We're still on the back burner. We try to get close to the front burner. Every time we get our foot <coughs> near the burner, they pull us back 12 yards. What about DNA? Uh, what year, I'm sure your DNA is in the database now, who gave DNA and when was this done? Karen and I both gave DNA twice. My mother has, 86. it was 1986, the first time we did it. I don't know if it was later than that when we did it again. But my mother had breast cancer. And at the hospital where she worked, they still had paraffin blocks that has her original tissue in it. Uh, okay. So they had my mother also. Okay, so what you're saying is DNA got done way, way, way back then. Yes, okay. we had a DNA collection, and then they updated it because of new technology and PCR testing and the way that they mm -hmm. test it. We've done it. We needed to, okay. We've had blood samples drawn. Mm -hmm. FBI, even had, FBI came to the house and did it. Yeah, good. Okay. Good. And he offered us help, too. Okay. Plus, we all have Kim's all Kim's dental work, all her medical, right. all her medical records, and right. dental work. Yep, gotta have that. Okay, Karen, Diane, and Richard. Any final words before we complete this interview? Biggest thing is, is that we still know that there are people today that is out there that has information. It may seem like it's very minor. It don't make any difference. Call us and let us know because if you let us know what information you have, uh, then we can go from there. But the other thing that I want to stress, and I really want to stress this to everybody, is that just because you live in a smaller town, it doesn't mean that this very same thing can't happen to you. So talk to your children, turn around and uh, try to get them, if they're going out somewhere, where are they going, and what the heck is, uh, who they're going to be with, what time you're going to come home, 
get these kinds of things in place. That's the biggest thing I can honestly say. We would like to also say, if you have any information, please contact the Maine State Police. You do not have to give your name or your phone number. You can leave an anonymous tip. We need your help. We also have just want to find her at gmail.com. Just want to find her at gmail.com. You can leave something on there. We will gladly, you can leave it on Kim's page. There is, you can put it on Facebook. I mean, Kim's page is on Facebook. There is, we'll we'll listen to anybody who will send us a tip (coughs) through Facebook. We just need somebody to send in more tips. The more tips we have, the more we dig, the more we try to find what we're looking for. And that would be my sister, Kim. And uh, Karen, any final words from you before we complete this interview? Just the fact that we still don't have the answer we want. We will never give up. And we're going to keep right on begging for help and keeping her name and face alive as long as we possibly can. Okay. Richard, Karen, and Diane, I appreciate all three of you being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you for thinking of Kim and trying to help our family. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Trying to help us. We are anxious to hear how you come up with composing this all so that we can get the story (laughs) out for somebody new in your state who's never heard it before. You're very welcome. And that was the second part of my January 25th, 2024 interview with the father of Kim Moreau, Richard Moreau, and Kim's sisters, Diane and Karen. I thank all three for joining me and all of you on this episode. I also need to thank listener Michael, who suggested Kim's disappearance and put me in touch with her father, Richard. This is a disappearance where I'm sure most of you will be taking a long, hard look at Brian. And this makes all the sense in the world. His stories about that night seemed to have changed over the years. Why exactly didn't he drop Kim off right at her house? Why would he correct the investigator by saying Kim doesn't have a hole in her head? We can surely visualize a scenario where Brian wanted to do adult stuff and Kim didn't. A fight ensued and he killed her. This is a very common scenario of murder, not just in the United States, but all over the world. Rape leading to murder. Too common. This makes all the sense in the world, logically. However, we must consider the following points. Are we sure Kim didn't want to do adult things with Brian? She spent all day with him. She came home, then went back out with him on that Saturday night. And Kim, as her own family said, had already begun to make some questionable choices in her life. Really, and not to put too fine of a point on this, what does everybody think Kim planned to do for that next hour? instead of just calling it a night. 
an hour where she was going to be alone with Brian after dropping her female friend off. But yes, Brian still could have wanted to go further than Kim wanted. Possible. Likewise, we must be open to the idea that Brian really did drop off Kim down the street. Why would he and Kim do this? Maybe Kim wanted to sneak into the house. Car headlights and the sound of the engine would get in the way of that. Hey, we've all been in that situation if we had a social life in our teenage years. Lastly, Brian would be a perfect suspect if we didn't have the recently jilted boyfriend in the area who cared so much about Kim that he traded her class ring for beer. Kim had to be number one on his crap list. In fact, this other girl, the one who Kim caught with the boyfriend, where is she now? What does she have to say about all this? What I'm saying is, sometimes figuring this all out isn't so simple. The conclusion you reach might have been attained too quickly. Sometimes it takes a lot more than 60 minutes. If you'd like to hear and read more of my in-depth analysis into the disappearance of Kim Moreau, please go to patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast, sign up, and partake in the Unfound blog. Until then, I leave the public theorizing up to you.